2 Timothy here in just a moment, but the new series is called Equipped. Equipped. And uh, what we're going to be studying for probably 8 to 10 weeks, probably about 10 weeks, we're going to be going into being equipped for spiritual warfare. All right? And so we're going to go for a number of weeks studying the subject of spiritual warfare. (laughs) Got to get that word out. How many of you know that, that we are at war with an enemy? How many of you would agree with that? That there is evil in this world? You, you ha- I mean, how could you not see it? And so we're going to be looking at spiritual warfare. And this is the first couple of weeks are going to be kind of more of an introduction. But then I would encourage you to try to do your best to continue to come and to continue to hear um, the, throughout the series. Because the, the key is we want to be equipped. And so we're going to be talking about, as I said, being equipped for spiritual warfare. And our theme passage is found in 2 Timothy. And so uh, we're going to just jump right in so we have time this morning. And I want to honor your time. And uh, many of you want to go home and take a nap. Amen? And so just wait till after the sermon to take the nap. Wait till after the message to take the nap. But we're going to start in 2 Timothy 3. I won't put the first verse on this, but the beginning of this chapter, he says this. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy says, hey, watch out, be on guard, mark this. He said, there will be terrible times in the last days. So Paul's warning Timothy, he says, in the last days there will be terrible times. And the entire chapter gives a description of what the end of days are going to look like. And honestly, it looks a lot like the day and age that we live. In the book of Revelation 12, verse 12, again, I'm not going to put that passage on the screen, but in Revelation 12, 12, the Bible says this, that that in the last days, it says that, that Satan will unleash his fury upon the earth, that he will begin to work overtime, if you will. And it says this, because Satan knows his days are short. He knows that the time is coming near. And so as we believe as as the church, as we believe as followers of Christ, that I would say to you that we can see a lot of the signs of the times that we're living in what Paul referenced as the last days. And he gives warning. And then he says this at the end of this chapter. These are kind of our theme verses. In verses 16 and 17, he's going to use the word equipped. But he says, in light of the last days, and living in the end of times, when these terrible times will come, notice what he says. He reminds us of something very powerful. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Notice this, for training in righteousness or living a righteous life. That the man or the servant of God may be complete. Notice, will you say the next word with me? Equipped. Equipped for every good work. The scripture is given to us to equip us. And and as we begin this series, the the emphasis is going to be spiritually equipped for spiritual warfare. To be equipped for spiritual warfare. I know a coach, he's a college recruiter. And he went on a recruiting trip uh, with a new coach. He was kind of new on his coaching staff. It was Coach Kelling. Where's Coach Kelling at? Is he here? Coach Kelling took a newer coach with him on a recruiting trip. And so they went and 
were watching some of these all-star games that were going on, and they were looking for the next best, best you know, football players to, to try to recruit for their team. And this young new coach was excited to go. His name was Zach Strand. He's sitting right there in the front row. He took Zach. And so the All-Star game was playing, and as they're sitting there and they're watching the game, Zach was like kind of saying, what type of guys are we looking for, coach? Who are we looking for? And after the game was going on for a while, there was this one guy got knocked down, just got flat, and he jumped right back up. Went to the sideline, went back in, got knocked down a second time, jumped back up, went back into the game, got knocked down a third time and, and kind of wobbled and went back and just stood on the sideline and just took his helmet off and just sat on the bench. And Zach's like, Coach Kelling, that's not the kind of guy we're looking for, is it? And Coach Kelling said, absolutely not. That's not the kind of guy we're looking for. Game kept playing and was progressing and there was another guy. He got knocked down jumped back up, demon leaved the field, got knocked down, jumped back up, got knocked down again, jumped back up, wouldn't leave the field, got knocked down again and, and jumped back up. And, and Zach said, Coach, Coach Kelling, that's the kind of guy we're recruiting, isn't it? That's the kind of guy we're looking for. Coach Kelling says, no, we're looking for the guy that's been knocking those two guys down the whole time. <laughs> And sometimes we look at the Christian life like that, like, hey, that guy just keeps getting knocked down and back up, and that's the kind of guy we want to be. Don't get me wrong, we're going to get knocked down, but I don't know about you, but I want to be the guy that's not getting knocked down all the time. Somebody say amen. And I want to be the guy that's not getting the, the snot knocked out of me the whole game. I want to be that guy that's equipped. Are you with me, church? Go with me, and we're going to look here at 2 Kings, and this is going to be kind of the start to the series. Interesting passage of Scripture, but we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament. An interesting story here in 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll look at it, and we'll, we'll pick up in verse 13, but I'll fill you in on what's leading up to this. The nation of Israel is basically about to go to war with the country of Syria. The king of Syria came up against the nation of Israel. It was interesting because the man of God, Elisha the prophet, would tell the king of Israel wherever the enemy was going to be. And he would say, hey, I know exactly where they're at. Don't go here. Don't go there. God was giving him wisdom. And he said, move your troops here. Move your troops there. And what happened is, is the king of Syria was outraged. He was angry. And he calls all of his officers together. And he says, all right, which one of you is the spy? I want, you to know, I want to know, who's the spy? Who keeps, who keeps telling the, the enemy, keeps telling them where we are? Which one of you officers is the spy? And one of them finally spoke up and he said this. He says, it's none of us. He says, he says Israel has a prophet. His name is Elisha. And he knows even the things that you say in your bedroom. He knows everything, like God reveals everything to him. And so this king has a brilliant idea. He says, oh, really? Well, then find out where he is, and I'm going to send troops to capture him. Now, isn't that interesting? A guy who can know what you're thinking and saying in your bedroom, and a guy who's already knew where you're going to be and where you're going to be at, but you're going to go capture him. And so we'll pick up in this chapter, verse 13. Notice what it says. So the king of, of Syria, he says, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. 
And so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose up early in the morning, he went out. And behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Then Elisha prayed and he said, O Lord, please open the eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed. And so the Lord said, uh, please strike this people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the, to the man in whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. Now, Samaria was the capital of Israel at the time. He literally leads them to, to their enemy, right into the capital city of Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O oh Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he sends them on the way. And the Bible goes on to say that Syria no longer went to war with Israel. Now, the main part of this passage I want you to see is this, is as we look at this story, we see that, that Elisha, he, he could see things that the servant could not see. And as this army completely surrounded them, he says, to, he says and prays, and he says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when his eyes were opened, what he realized is that there were horses and chariots outnumbering that of the enemy. It was the angelic army that was there to protect them. And if, if there's anything I pray about just the beginning of this series today, my prayer is this, is that our eyes would be open or that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would be awakened to the fact that there is truly spiritual warfare taking place. And that there is things that maybe we cannot see with our human eye, but there are things that are taking place all around us. And that there is good and that there is evil. And yes, there are angels. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he says, be, be aware, you may entertain angels without even knowing it. But I also want to remind us, church, that there is an evil, there is a darkness, there is an enemy, Satan. His name is Satan, who was once Lucifer, the second most powerful created being ever created. And we know that through his pride, the Bible says he fell. But he also took one third of the heavenly angels with him. And they are also at his command. And my prayer is this, is that we would wake up and realize that we are truly in a spiritual battle. There is a great spiritual battle that is taking place. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The Bible says this. We will be going to this passage in a couple of weeks where he speaks about putting on the armor of God. 
But I want to highlight one passage. Paul says this. He, t- he, he teaches this. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, we don't battle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Notice what he says, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Notice this, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus said that Satan, that the devil was the father of all lies. He is the father of evil. And the Bible says we are at war. And Paul warns, he says, listen, Christians, followers of Christ, you are at war with these adversaries. And there is a spiritual battle that is taking place. It scares me. It scares me because so many Christians will say, Yes, I believe in spiritual warfare, but it is simply only here that they believe it. They don't really believe it here and in the way that they're living their life. Does this make sense? Understand this. I'm not trying to scare you, but I want to scare you a little bit. There is a lot at stake. You say, oh, I don't believe in this stuff. Just try reading your Bible for five minutes and see if you can stay awake. Come on now. It's amazing. Spend a few minutes in prayer and realize that it takes work, doesn't it? There's spiritual warfare. Most of the time, just trying to get to church. Mom, dad, kids in the car screaming, fighting, arguing, yelling at each other. Come on now. I mean, all hell breaks loose just so you can get to church. And then you walk through the door. Oh, hi. I grew up like that. On her way to church, my mom, she's probably watching right now. I'm in big trouble. And my dad, we walked through the door. Oh, sister, sister, how are you? Come on now. All hell breaks loose when you try to get to church. Let's be honest. You can get up other days a week and try to get up to go to church. You try to read your Bible, trying to pray, trying to live right, do right. Every demon in hell is fighting against you. Come on now. It's real. There is a battle among us and around us. It's waged against us. Paul says, for we wrestle not. And by the way, it is a spiritual, listen to me. This life that we're living is not a playground, it's a battleground. It's a, not a playground, it's a battleground. And too many Christians take this lightly. The Bible says in John 10, 10, notice the words of Jesus Christ. He says this, and the thief comes, speaking of our adversary Satan, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. Do you see the two forces at work? But Satan seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to wreak havoc in your life. He wants to wreak havoc in your marriage and in your home and in your family. The enemy wants your children. The enemy wants your marriage. The enemy wants to to rip and strip your, your, your family apart. He wants to destroy the church. He hates the church. Satan is an adversary. He's evil. And may I remind you of something? He has thousands and thousands and thousands of years of experience. And he has tens of thousands of of case studies. And he's worked at it. And he's refining his craft, church. 
And we take this thing lightly. You say, Pastor Joe, you're really passionate about this. I am passionate about this because I think so many Christians are followers of Christ, but they're not even prepared and equipped to go to battle with the one that we're at battle with. And he's knocking us all around and knocking us down. The Bible says we need to learn to stand strong and stand firm in the power of his might. He wants to steal. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. The Bible says that he is the father of all lies. Jesus said in the scriptures and Paul said in in the book of Corinthians that, that God is not the author of confusion. But can I tell you, I know who is the author of confusion and chaos. It's the adversary. We live in a battleground. We are at war spiritually, but it is sad most Christians are not living as if they are at war. Does this make sense? The sad fact is, is this. We don't want to talk about it. And I'm just, this is going to be really real. But we don't want to talk about it in church setting. We don't want to talk about this. We want to come to church and just get the warm fuzzies. But can I tell you something? War is nasty. War is ugly. Look what's happening in Ukraine. And, and look what's going on. It's bloody. And it's ugly. And by the way, can I say this? We don't want to talk about it. But even within the church, within the brothers and sisters of Christ and the family of God, listen to me, we don't like to say this, but there are casualties of war. Yes, we're on the winning side. I'll finish with that. Amen. And yes, we have the power of Christ. And yes, we have all of these things. Yet many Christians are falling prey to the enemy. And there are many casualties of war. And we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to see that. But can I tell you something? There are, in, in war, there is casualties. Please, church, somebody agree with me. Say amen there. In war, there are casualties. And can I say this? That in the church and in Christianity and as followers of Christ, there will be casualties. And there will be those whom the enemy will seek to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We will look at the life of Job in this series. But may I remind you of something. Job was a godly man doing right, living right. And it wasn't something that he did wrong. It was what he was doing right. And because he was living right and living godly, the Bible says that Satan sought out to wreck Job's life. And he began to attack Job. And we see this, that the spiritual warfare taking place on the life and the man of Job. It wasn't because of what he's doing wrong. It was because of what he was doing right. Somehow we think that if I live right and I do right, that I'll be exempt from the attack of the enemy. No. Can I tell you something? It's quite the opposite. The more you strive to live for Christ, the more you try to live right, and the more you try to do for his kingdom, may I say to you, it gets the attention of the enemy. And you now put a target on your back. You guys do game film, right? When you do game film, you don't do film on the guy who sits the bench.
<laughs> you don't. You know what you do? You go, that, that quarterback, we've got to watch him when you're on defense. That, that, that receiver over there, that's the one we need. Now you just put a target on your back. Come on now. They know your number. And everybody on the team, when they do game film, watch for 21, watch for 21, 21. You know, you know that's the way it is. May I remind you of something? We somehow think the enemy thinks differently. No. Do you understand? The more you try to live for God, the more the enemy is going to oppose you and fight you. And, and you just literally gave him your number. Come on now. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8. We'll be looking at these contexts more. This is, we're just giving the overview. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Why should we be sober? Why, should we, why do we need to kind of pray that our eyes are opened up? Why am I preaching this series? Why? Because your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know about you, but if someone said, hey, there is a, a lion on the loose. He's right out here in Enoch somewhere. I'm going to change how I live. I'm, I mean, like, children, you go first. Go to the car. <laughs> there you go. Go. <laughs> Did I really just say that? Oops. <laughs> you, we would change everything about us. If someone said, there's a lion out there that's already taken lives, you would say, huh, I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be on guard. I'm going to go out prepared. You know, like when people in, you know, go out where bears are and grizzly bears and lions, they take mace, they you know, make noise. They're going out there prepared to take a gun. And he says that the enemy is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Again, this needs to be a wake-up call. The enemy wants to wreak havoc in our lives. He really does. And are we really, are we really living like we're at war? Look with me at a passage in Mark. This is Christ's ministry on earth. In Mark chapter 4, I want you to see the beginning of the story because it ties into what happens in Mark chapter 5. Beginning in verse 35, Mark 4, beginning in verse 35, Jesus is in his earthly ministry. And we're going to see here he's getting ready to cross over the Sea of Galilee. Notice what happens. And on that day... When the evening had come, he said to them, his 12 disciples, he said, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with, uh, they, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was, was already filling. I mean, it's about to, to sink the boat. It says, but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. It's like my wife, she can sleep through anything. <laughs> and they woke him. And they said to him, teacher, 
Do you not care that we're perishing? That's a whole other sermon. But Jesus, don't you even care about us? Yeah, Jesus cares, okay? And he awoke. Notice the wording here. We'll mention this in a moment. He rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased. And it was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? By the way, he's creator, amen? He created the wind and sea. Now go with me to chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, because I want you to see the rest of the story. As soon as they get to the other side, notice what happens. And they came to the other side of the, of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, notice what happens. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him. No one could bind him anymore. Not, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he, he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and he was cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This is the demon speaking through this man. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of, of the country. Now there was a great herd of, of pigs or swine that was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission by the way, the enemy only can do what God gives them permission to do. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and he entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw, notice this, the demon-possessed man. The one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. He was in his sane mind, and they were afraid, astonished. And those that had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, I like this, but he said this, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis, that was ten, a 10 city region, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. What a powerful story. We see here once again a, a, a picture of spiritual warfare taking place. I want us to be reminded of the potential that the enemy has. As I mentioned earlier, Satan is the second most powerful created being in all of the universe. 
We won't look at it at this time. We'll reference it later. But even Michael the archangel in the book of Jude verse 9, when he's in contention with, with Lucifer, with Satan, the Bible says that he, he was no match, that Michael the archangel was no match for Lucifer, that he had to call upon the Lord. And he said, the Lord rebuke you. May I remind you of something? You and I are no match for the enemy. This man was no match for, for, for these demonic spirits and no match for the enemy. In fact, there was nothing, humanly speaking, that anyone could do to help this man. They tried everything, humanly speaking, to try to help this man. And there was nothing that they could do. Only the Lord Jesus Christ had that power and authority. This man, as we study here, was possessed by thousands of demons, upwards of of maybe over 2,000 demons, maybe more, that this man was possessed by. He says, for our name is legion, our name is many. Satan is referred to in Scripture as the prince in the power of the air. Understand this, that even in the book of Job, that he had power over, over storms, and he sent a storm that killed all ten of Job's children. Do you remember that? He has the ability to inflict sickness. The enemy has the ability to, 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 to control the weather, and whether we realize that or not, but I think this is, is important because many times people say, well, why did God do that? Can I remind you of something? God did not send the storm that killed Job's family. It was the enemy, the one who seeks to, see, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Maybe God allowed it, but it was not God who sent it. Please, church, understand this is important because oftentimes we blame God for the acts and works of Satan. He's the prince and power of the air. He attempts to destroy all that is good. I want to just throw this out here, but understand this. He, there is a spiritual attack on fathers. You say, why is there a spiritual attack? There is a, is a spiritual attack on fathers because fathers are to be an example of what God the Father is to be. We wonder why we, we are struggling and why we deal with the fatherlessness in our nation and even around the world. It is because the enemy hates fathers. Yes, he hates mothers too, but he hates fathers. And he wants to destroy anything that is symbolic or a picture of who God is. He hates the marriage. He will try to do anything and everything in his power to destroy a marriage. Why? Because we see that the book of Ephesians and Paul speaks of the church. And he says that the church uh, is, is uh, the, the analogy of marriage. And he uses marriage and he says they too become one. And marriage is a picture of Christ and his love for the church. And, and, and he wants to destroy the church. And anything that symbolizes something that's, that's holy and, and anything that God loves, Satan hates. Does this make sense? And so because the, your marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church, the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to wreak havoc. Understand this as well. He wants to destroy relationships that you have between a father and a child or a mother and a child. And he wants to wreak havoc in relationships. He hates it. One thing that I have learned and I've tried to stress to people when going through difficulties and in relationships and when there's 
stress and tension and friction and sometimes where there's even a growing of, of animosity towards one another. One thing, can I just say this to all of you? Can I remind you of something that there is an adversary, there is an enemy and oftentimes you are angry at your wife or you're angry at your husband or you're angry at your child or you're angry at your father but can I remind you something that who the true enemy is is Satan. He's the one in the middle. The one in the middle trying to wreak havoc and to cause this division and separation. Get upset at Satan. And as we even began to look at the very first passage this morning, when we looked there in Kings, what did Elisha do? He was in a battle, but how did he resolve the battle? He resolved it through, through the spiritual realm. How did they have victory over the enemy? He prayed. And through that prayer, God gave victory. Oftentimes we are trying, obviously there needs to be change and we need to fix things in our life and other people need to fix things in their lives. But can I tell you something? Prayer is a powerful weapon that we will be studying that we must be using to be equipped against the enemy. Satan has thousands of demons at his disposal. When we look at this passage, Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We have to go to the other side. There's a whole other message there, but they're going actually to a region that was Gentiles. That's why there were pigs there, right? Because they were Gentiles. That was not unclean to them. Jesus says, we're going to the other side. Did you catch what happens? They get in the boat and they're on their way to the other side. Let me ask you, were the disciples in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Were they in the will of God? Yeah. Were they doing what they were commanded to do? Yes. What happens on their way to the other side? What happens? A huge storm. The adversary. A huge storm arises. And it begins to pound that boat. And the waves are crashing into the boat. And, the, and the, these are experienced seamen, experienced fishermen. They've been at sea over and over again. And they're experienced and they know what they're doing. And that this was a storm like no other storm. And they thought they're going to die. And they say, Jesus, don't you even care? And Jesus wakes up and says, oh, guys, you have little faith. And what does he, and what does he do? It says this, he rebukes the storm. And he says, be quiet, hush, be still. He stops it immediately. It's one of the only times that I can see in Scripture where the Lord rebukes His creation, where he, he rebukes it. Can I propose to you? You know what I believe? I believe that Satan knew where Jesus was going. He said, uh-oh. He's on his way to the other side. And I have a man over there that I have thousands of demons in. I better, I better stop him from getting to the other side. Are you guys with me this morning? And so the enemy, Satan sends a strong storm and tries to drown the disciples and tries to sink the boat that Jesus is in. And don't you just love it? He is him, amen? Jesus is it, man. Jesus is laying there on a pillow. And I'm sure, picture this. Can you picture this? The prince and power of the air, Satan's like, oh no. Jesus is on his way to the other side. There's a, that, he, he, I know what he's up to. He's going to go out and cast out the demons. Oh, I'll show him. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send a strong storm, and I'm going to sink the boat. That's what I'm going to do. And so he unleashes all his fury on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are terrified. And, he's, and he, can you picture it? 
Can you picture Lucifer as he's watching and he's observing and there's Jesus. <sighs> Lucifer's just like. <sighs> and then Jesus wakes up and is like, be still, be calm. I mean, we serve an awesome God, by the way. Amen. And as he gets to the other side, immediately, this man who is tormented, filled with demons, that no one can help, Jesus helps. Jesus casts out the demons, and once again, the demons trying to think ahead and out-scheme the Lord. Well, well, send us to the pigs, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't send us off somewhere. Send us to the pigs. That's a great idea. And I was like, sure. Yeah, yeah, I give you permission. Go into the pigs. And then he has them run off the hill. Right down into the Sea of Galilee. And they all drowned, you know. All I know is that was a waste of a lot of good bacon. Amen. <laughs> and he tells the man, go home to your friends and to your family. Let them see the change. Let them see the mercy and the grace that God has shown you. Spiritual warfare is real, church. Followers of Christ, spiritual warfare is real. Even Jesus himself was not exempt from the, the schemes and the wiles in the war of the enemy. Amen? Spiritual warfare is real. The enemy is at work. My prayer is that our eyes are opened to this reality that we are in a spiritual battle. My prayer is like that of Elisha that says, Lord, open our eyes that we may begin to see, to see things more clearly, the way that God would have us see them, and to see that there is a true real spiritual battle taking place. That there will be casualties of war. And there are casualties of war. And that we are living in a battleground, not a playground. For Paul told Timothy, he said, be a good soldier of Christ. We see it all through scripture that spiritual warfare is real. I do want to give you some encouragement before we leave. Amen. One passage I'd like to leave with you is 1 John 4, 4. As I said, we'll be going through this series and we'll be looking at how to be equipped. What are some areas and ways that we can be equipped? But in 1 John 4, 4, I want to encourage you with these words. Satan seeks... To kill, to steal, to destroy. But I also want to encourage you with this, and that is what the scripture says in 1 John. It was supposed to be 1 John 4 4, where it says this Greater is he, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Can you say it with me? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Spiritual warfare is real. It's a reality. Satan is at work. 
He knows his days are short. His days are numbered. Paul says in the last days that, that he will be at work. John says in John 12, 12, he says, in the last of days he will unleash his fury. Satan has thousands of years of experience. He's been able to see men like Peter fall, many mighty men like Samson fall. Let me just remind you, if he's been able to get to men like Peter and Samson, he can get at us too, correct? So we must be on guard. We must be on guard. We must be watchful. We, the Bible says be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, the adversary, he seeks. Like a roaring lion, he seeks to devour. But I do want to leave you with this encouragement, and that is this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Dwelling within us. We have his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so you say, Pastor Joe, are you trying to scare us? Yeah, I'm trying to scare you a little. To wake up. To be on guard. But at the same time, to not live in a spirit of fear, but in a spirit of power and of love in a sound mind. Amen? That we are on the winning side. But may I just encourage you with this, and that is, it is important for us as followers of Christ to be equipped, as the scripture says, to fight against the many schemes of the enemy. The many schemes of the adversary who seeks to kill, to steal, to destroy, to wreak havoc, to create division. And so our prayer, my prayer, is in the weeks to come that we will be equipped, that we will be equipped through the word of God, amen, to be able to withstand, to stand firm against the many schemes of the adversary. May that be your prayer too. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that you have given us what we need to be equipped, Lord, against this powerful, powerful force that we are at war with. Oh God, I pray that this morning my prayers that our eyes would be opened. Lord, we say that we are in a spiritual warfare, we're in a spiritual battle, but most of us are not truly living like it.